good morning. It's good to gather this morning God's worship and in the season of Lent to be especially mindful of the God who has pursued us in Christ and entered into our sin and death. During the season of Lent, you see in your order of worship a note that our sermon series is from the Psalms of Ascent. The Psalms of Ascent are 15 psalms that are part of a kind of a smaller collection within the larger uh, book of Psalms. And just as a way for us to start and be reminded again, the Psalms are the, the prayer book or the song book of God's people. And the way I encourage us to think about it, these are God's words given to us that we can speak to God. God's words given to us that we may speak to God, and they are a gift from God. Gift, especially in the sense that they remind us that God is not simply inviting us to know doctrine or to religious activity, why those things are, are good, but God is actually calling us even further into a personal union, a personal relationship with Him. To cry out or to, to bring our joys or our worries, to bring our very selves to God. And the Psalms are a gift in this way. The Psalms of Ascent, <clears throat> the title, we don't know for sure, but most scholars think that the Psalms of Ascent have their title from a group of Psalms that were used by pilgrims when they were going up to Jerusalem for their annual feasts, for Passover, Day of Atonement, for Pentecost. And as, <clears throat> as Jewish people from all over the nation would move towards Jerusalem, that these were the songs that they would sing on the journey. They would remind them of where they were going. And so because of that, the Psalms of Ascent, they have a sense or a theme to them of, of travel, of movement, of a journey. And this morning, our psalm directs us to go, to go to the house of the Lord, to go and worship. It invites us to consider that when we made our way here to Waters Gym this morning, that you, we were joining not only the people sitting around you, and not only people throughout Chicago or even our country, but joining a worldwide act of Christian worship in countless forms and languages all over the globe. Even more than that, when we gather for worship, we are joining a great movement of history. Think every Sunday for almost 2,000 years, we Christians have left our beds, our tables, our work, and gone out into the path or to the roads by foot, or maybe in the past by horse, or if anyone brought a horse today, let me know, by bike, by car, by train, to go out from our daily kind of normal existence and patterns and schedules to gather and worship, to gather together and to assemble and sing and pray, to listen and give thanks and to respond in faith to the one who has gathered us. And so Psalm 122, as we'll read in a moment, is a song of a person who has heard the call to go, heard the call to go and has decided to hear it and move to go and to worship. Now, one thing I feel like I should say, we've heard the phrase preaching to the choir, right? So I'm talking about gathering for worship on Sunday, and I'm telling you, here, who has gathered for worship on Sunday? But I hope that not only will we again hear this call, but we'll be reminded of what worship is and why it's fundamental to the Christian life, why it is at the heart of our walk with Christ to gather and to worship the one who has made us and redeemed us. So let's look at our passage. This is Psalm 122. It's in your order of worship, or you can follow in your Bible. 
A Song of Ascents of David. I was glad when they said to me, Let us go to the house of the Lord. Our feet have been standing within your gates, O Jerusalem. Jerusalem built as a city that is bound firmly together, to which the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord, as was decreed for Israel, to give thanks to the name of the Lord. Their thrones for judgment were set, the thrones of the house of David. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they be secure who love you. Peace be within your walls and security within your towers. For my brothers and companions' sake, I will say, peace be within you. For the sake of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek your good. This is God's word given to us for our good. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for who you are. And Lord, we thank you that you gathered us here. We ask that you would be present and by your word and spirit that you would help us to know you and that you'd move us to respond in faith, that we would worship and find rest in the one who has made us. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, as we look at this psalm together, sorry, just one moment. There we go, I think that might be better. Um, my microphone keeps moving. All right, well, so we look at our passage and we make our way through our sermon this morning. I want to take the beginning to look at observations, three kind of key words. And by looking at those three key words, I think it will tell us about what our psalm is about, to kind of invite us to understand worship. And then we're going to, after we look at those observations, have some reflections about the impact of worship in our life and the centrality of it, the, the impact and the centrality of it. So let's start, though, with the observations, the observation being the, this word, glad, the word house, and the word Jerusalem. Do you see how our psalm starts? I was glad. My heart leaped for joy. You notice that there is a rejoicing, and why was this psalmist rejoicing? Why was this person glad? It was when they, when my family, my friends, my neighbors, my brothers and sisters in the faith, when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. These voices, they remind us that we are not acting alone when we join together in the assembly, when we gather in the church to worship. Even more, these voices that were saying, let us go, encouraging us to worship, they actually are echoing God. You see, God called, God decreed for the 12 tribes of Israel to, to go, to go up to Jerusalem and I want us to, as we enter into this psalm and make it our own, to understand that God has called you this day. God has called you this day in Jesus, called our hearts, directing us to set aside our normal daily practices and schedules to gather in His presence. And here we are, and to understand ourselves rightly, we are people who have been set in motion, gathered in response to the call of God gathered in response as God calls us often through those in our life who call us to come. The church in the, the Greek term means the called out or the, those called out in assembly. I was glad when they said to me, when the voice said and called to me, let us go, let us go to the house of the Lord. If glad was the first word, the second here is house, that our psalm opens and closes with the mention of the house of the Lord. And it's worth noting that whenever a passage 
starts and ends with the same phrase or the same word, it's worth seeing that and understanding that that sets forth the theme of the passage in most cases. It tells us what the rest of the verses will be telling us. And our psalm is about the house of the Lord going to worship, going to Jerusalem, going to the temple to meet with God. The pilgrim is called to go. And this is a song of arrival, of a joy that they're thrilled to have their feet now actually standing in Jerusalem, the site of the house of God. And so that third word for us to notice is Jerusalem. There's three sections of this prayer, and each section mentions Jerusalem. It's the destination of the journey. Jerusalem is first mentioned in Genesis in chapter 14. We're introduced to the king of Salem, Salom, when he meets the person Abraham. Salom or Jerusalem derives from the Hebrew word shalom, meaning city or abode of peace. Jerusalem became prominent under King David where he made that the political and religious center for Israel. He placed his palace and other governmental buildings there. Plus, he moved the Ark of the Covenant and the tabernacle to Jerusalem. And Later, under Solomon, King David's son, the great temple was built in Jerusalem. And I mentioned all that for us to try to imagine people streaming in, gathering, and especially often from the country or more rural settings. Can we imagine the psalmist standing there inside the gates of Jerusalem after a long journey, looking at the buildings, the homes, the city's massive walls and gates? Maybe you've experienced travel to a great city before, a place that feels wonderful or beyond what you are used to. New languages or new buildings to see the the strangeness or the vastness of it. I, I know it's not a city, but when I was thinking of that experience, I thought of the Grand Canyon. I know it's not a city. But I had seen photos of it. I had heard about this place. But when I went, I still couldn't believe the size, the wonder of this thing before us. And that's the sense that we are invited to imagine as people make this journey, that they are going and they have a gladness and a joy of standing in the gates of this city that they ventured to. In the Gospels, we hear Jesus' disciples as Jesus and they are moving towards Jerusalem. The disciples cry out to Jesus as they approach the city of Jerusalem, Look, teacher, what massive stones, what huge walls, what magnificent buildings. That's their cry as they see the city that they were headed to. I've never been to Jerusalem. I know some of you have. Even with ancient or more recent unrest, it is a city of beauty and of wonder and meaning. And Maybe as we look at this psalm, you can be like me a little bit. Like I can get the idea of worship or the call to go to worship, but how does Jerusalem fit? Why is Jerusalem throughout our passage? And what I want us to see here is that it is a significant place But throughout Scripture, Jerusalem always points beyond itself. The ache and love for Jerusalem was the longing and ache for God. Jerusalem always points beyond the earthly city, beyond something that we can find on a map. I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Our feet are standing in the gates, O Jerusalem. Why Jerusalem? The city has always pointed beyond itself to the presence of God. That that was where you would go to the house of God, to be in God's presence. 
Jerusalem, the location of the temple, marked God's presence dwelling with his people. To go to Jerusalem was to go and long to be in the presence of the God who had called Israel into being. Long ago, long before Jesus came as the incarnate one, the one in flesh as God, God in flesh, long before that, Israel had a sense of incarnation, had a sense of God being embodied because of the temple. The temple itself, and by extension Jerusalem, was seen as the dwelling place of the living God. That God in His grace, in a unique way, was granting His presence to His people. And so to speak of Jerusalem was to speak of longing, longing to be in God's presence, longing to go. And I want us to think about the gladness in the house of the Lord in Jerusalem. All the things are inviting us to see our passage is not ultimately about Jerusalem. The journey is not just to Jerusalem. The Psalms of Ascent, the call for us to go out, to go on journey, is the call of God himself to come into God's presence. And I, I want that to be as clear as possible. The wonder, the call us to go, to call us to worship, is not a call simply to a religious activity, but it is a call to God himself. God's saying to you, come, let us go. God's saying, it's not a city that you ultimately are seeking, but me. That is why worship is so central to our life, because we were made to respond to the God who has called us, to find our delight and joy in that God. And this morning, I might be that you find yourself not, maybe not that interested in being here, but you're here. <laughs> you came because you were supposed to. Or maybe there's times in our life where we think, well, I, I could go to worship, but I would be hypocritical because of my sin or brokenness in my life or because I don't know what I actually think about these things. No matter where you are or no matter who you are, this psalm is a chance to be reminded of God's call to you. Come and worship. Come into the presence of God, not ultimately Jerusalem, but come to God where your sins can be forgiven where even if you come in despair or exhaustion, you can kind of rest in one beyond you. Even when we come with fears or uncertainty that you might find hope in the God who has made you. I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. That is God calling you this day to come. So that's what those observations tell us, that this is what the psalm is, is a call by God to come into God's presence. And I want us to take the rest of our time to reflect on what this means for us. And there's two parts. One, I want to think about the impact of worship in our life. And second, what is the center of worship? So we think about what worship does. What does worship do in your life? And for us to get around that, I want us to see how Jerusalem is being described in our passage. It's described in three primary ways, and those descriptions actually tell us what it's like to be in God's presence, what God's presence does. First thing, it's a city built that is bound firmly together. Its buildings constructed close together speak of solidness. The walls and towers represent structure, the promise of protection and of order. A city bound together points to the idea of structure of how we would order our life. I read an article recently in the Atlantic by a person named Derek Thompson. 
The name of the article is called Workism. Workism is making Americans miserable. Workism is making Americans miserable. Now remember, this is not a religious publication, but explores the new religion of workism. Saying that work has taken on the trappings of religion, the American concept of work has shifted from necessity to status to meaning. And I point that out not to say anything bad about work or not to say that God's not interested in our work, but rather to remind us that we, all of us, are made to worship. Whether we want to or not, we are made to give ourselves to something or to someone. In this article, the author even writes, to make work the centerpiece of one's life is to place one's esteem in the questionable hands of the market. To be a workist is to worship a God with firing power. Work is not supposed to be the structure that tells us who we are or to order our life. We can't help ourselves, though. We as humans seek structure, we seek meaning, and that is often tied up in what we worship, what we give ourselves to. And here the walls, the towers of Jerusalem, remind the worshipers of God as our refuge that stands secure against the hostile powers around us, those things that would seek to tell us who we are or control us. Just as the walls of Jerusalem provide structure, that God's worship, who God is, provides structure to our lives. Last Sunday, if you were here, the psalm uses the image of the journey, that we were on a journey and feeling overwhelmed or tired or troubled and asked the human question, where does my help come from? Where do I look for my strength? Is there more than myself? More than my resources? More than the human categories of access or money? The image of a city bound together tells us the answer is yes. That God is calling you. When He calls you, He's calling you into the invitation to be human, made in God's image. Our humanness is rooted in giving thanks. To be human is to be called, called to worship and give thanks. These are fundamental parts of who we are. And to give honor to God, to give honor to God is to invite us to see our lives in this world as gifts. Gifts to enjoy, but also gifts in which we can use to serve God or others. The prophet Isaiah, when talking about worship, said that we become like whatever we worship. Whatever it is that we adore or give ourselves to, the prophet said, you will become like it. We live in a world that tells us about consuming, and it's dangerous that we might become simply consumers ourselves. Worship of God invites us to a different path, a different way of making sense of this world. Not only is the city, though, described as bound firmly together, it is a place of praise. You see how it's described that their people are streaming in from the tribes all over the nation. They're coming together to the city of Jerusalem. And we can imagine a city that's already pretty large, swelling to maybe 10 times its normal size on these special holidays. So many people streaming into the city. And what happens when they worship together? What happens when they hear God's call and decree? They gather and begin to see each other differently. It changes how they see each other. 
gathering in union, gathering as a congregation, as an assembly. They see each other as brother and sister. They see one another as bound together around the one that they are worshiping. So worship gives us structure, but worship also changes how we see one another as we gather here. In Paul, in the book of Galatians, he says that when you gather in Christ, that we are to see all of us, everyone, as children of God, children of the same God. So therefore, whether you're Greek or Gentile, whether you're a slave or free, whether you're male or female, Paul writes, you are one in Christ. Worship changes how we see and welcome each other. And the third and last description, that Jerusalem is a place of justice. It's a place of justice. You see the mention of the thrones of Jerusalem. These thrones symbolize the established civil powers, places that settle legal disputes or seats of justice. And they remind us that God's kind of call for all leaders is to settle disputes. And Scripture on numerous occasions sets the dispensing of justice as the primary role of a civil leader. It's the best gift to the people under that leader is to act in a just way. A city is blessed when the thrones, the places of decision, are just. And we're reminded that when we gather for worship, one of the things that happens in worship is that we hear God's Word, a Word that sets things in motion, a Word that reorders our lives, even our thinking or our direction. The worship of God God's presence with His people not only gives us His Word, but it changes how we would view our neighbors. It gives us structure, it changes how we see one another, but it changes how we view our neighbors. Do you see here that God's worship here and other places in the Scripture is always connected to healing, to peace, to justice. When Jerusalem, when God's presence will fully come, it will be a place where weapons are beat into garden tools. Isaiah says. It changes how we see our neighborhood and community. It calls us to pray for the peace of others. It invites us to ask, is it well? Is it shalom? Is it peaceful with you? Do you have peace? Imagine what it would be like for Chicago if we learned how to ask our neighbors, even those who are very different from us, is it well with you? Do you have peace? Worship teaches us to look and to pray for peace, to even look beyond our own sake for the sake of our brothers and sisters and our companions. And all these things about worship, they tell us about what worship does in our life, but they all come to a center, of course, in the person of Jesus. That Jesus is the center. There's a scholar named Andrew Walls who wrote about how Christian faith moved throughout the world. And one of the things that he wrote that has stuck with me is that in the church or in people's lives that we all have different questions. We have different things that provoke within us a a question about God or about who we are. But what it means to be a Christian is that we arrive, even with different questions, we arrive that Jesus is the one who needs to speak to those questions. That Jesus in his life and death and resurrection He's the one that we need to hear speak to our questions. And Jesus in his teaching and his life tells us that we are to love our neighbors as ourselves, even our enemies. He tells us that we are to receive one another in his name as brothers and sisters. 
And he says that he offers himself as the very presence of God, the one that tells us what is true to order our lives. The early chapters of the Gospel of John are a fascinating section about Jesus and worship. The first time we hear of Jesus going to the temple in Jerusalem, he goes in and cleanses the temple, it said. He goes in and turns over the money changers' tables, those who are corrupt and using the temple to make money. He turns them over and says, you need to go. This is supposed to be a house of prayer. And when the people try to understand, Jesus, what are you doing? He says to them, if you tear down this temple, I'll rebuild it in three days. Now, if you're familiar with the Gospels, you know there's many times where people are completely dumbfounded by what Jesus says. What, what do you mean? It took us 46 years to build this temple. But the Gospel of John gives us a note that Jesus was talking about his own body. That he would die and in three days rise from the dead. But more importantly, that he was now the temple of God. That he was now the temple. And so when Jesus walks into Jerusalem... He and that city were both making claims to be the place of the living God. Both being the places where we would gather in God's presence. And Jesus is saying that He, He is God's presence. If we want to know what God's like, if we want to be with God, then we are to come in faith to Jesus. He sets Himself as the new temple. And later in that same book, a few chapters later, there's a woman outside Israel, a Samaritan, who says, I'm, I am supposed to go down to Jerusalem to worship. And Jesus says to her, in me, there's a day coming in me in which wherever you are, you can worship God in spirit and truth. Jesus is offering himself as the place in which we come as sinners but find forgiveness, the place that we come in faith and are united to the God who made us. And therefore, wherever we gather, Wherever we gather for worship is the place where God meets us. Jerusalem is special, but we no longer have to go to Jerusalem to gather in God's presence. When we gather in Jesus' name with faith, here at Waters, Jim, then God's presence is here amidst his people. Wherever we are, wherever God takes us, we are to gather, hear his call to gather as his people and learn how to worship him and order our lives, to learn how to love one another, and to learn how to love our neighbors wherever God would place you. Let us turn from any idea that we have to go to a certain place to encounter God. Rather, I pray that we would hear God's call today. Come and worship. Come to me. You who feel shame because of your sin, come and find forgiveness. You who are weary, come and find rest. You who have questions and are confused or uncertain, come. Come and hear my truth. This is the invitation to all of us. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for who you are. I thank you, Lord, that you're a good God who is faithful and who delights in people coming to know you. We pray that that would be our experience this day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.